Imagine a hot, desolate, dry, windswept plain. It's undulations tending downward toward the bank of a small river. Along most of the visible stretches of the river grow only short, stubby, olive-green bushes that constantly swirl with the blowing of the hot breeze. The water of the river is a chalky greenish color. It moves along silently, slowly, through the reddish-grayish soil of this section of the countryside. The sky overhead is cloudless, hazy, overfull of the heat of the sun. It is just about noon on this blazing hot day at Bethany on the far side of the Jordan. On its bank, sweltering in the heat of the sun, stand thousands upon thousands of intently listening, watching men, women, and children. From the look of them, they are most of them from the poorer end of the economic spectrum. There is a uniformity about the poverty of their cloaks, tunics, and sandals. Nearer down to the edge of the river, however, there are also rich men, leaders of the people, priests from the temple, who seem just as intent with their listening and watching. All these thousands of people fanned out along the concave of the river's slope are silent, just as the river is silent. What, who, are they listening to? Midstream, up to his waist in the slow-flowing currents of the river, stands a man who is, in some ways, difficult to describe, and in other ways, quite easy. On the simple side, he is like a holy man of old, dressed only in a camel skin, a leather belt, and with hair and beard that are as wild as the look in his eyes. Externally, he is pure prophetic intensity. More difficult to describe, his presence. The atmosphere of being within reach of his voice, the sensation meeting him that you are looking into the eyes of a whole other way of life. His eyes seem to look through you, beyond you. Yet looking into them, there is a mischievous, almost dangerous feel of experiencing the full power of heaven. From the middle of the river, he preaches and teaches, the crowds hanging upon his every word, and the burden of his message is always faultlessly clear. Repent! Turn your life from the direction it's been going unto another, for the kingdom of heaven is nearly upon you already. A voice in the crowd shouts out, But what should we do? The teacher answers right back, Share what you have with others today. A notable tax collector nearer to the river follows that up. And what about us? Stop stealing, says the Baptist. A soldier standing on the periphery, presumably sent to perform a function akin to crowd control, hears himself asking, And what of us? The teacher replies, No more extortion. No more of your false shows of power. Live uprightly, contentedly. 
One of the religious leaders, assuming himself to be on the same side as this teacher, finally asks the question that the crowds for days have been asking themselves. Sir, are you perhaps the Christ? No, answers the man in the river. Then Elijah? No. The prophet? No. Well, then who are you? An almost awful silence follows. The sort of silence where everyone standing on the bank becomes aware of their own breath, their own heartbeat. The breeze and the heat and the flowing along of the river suddenly seem to be part of the drama of the moment. The Baptist scans the faces of the people, considering his words. This is the moment, by the way, that the entirety of his 30 years has led up to. I am the voice, calling out in the wilderness, the one saying, Make straight the way of the Lord. Here I am, baptizing you with water. But one is coming, one who is infinitely more powerful than I, one so perfectly pure that I hardly dare to approach him. He is coming for one purpose only, to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. As one, the crowd of people standing there on the banks of the Jordan, appearing against the brilliant sparkling of the sunlight on the water, nod their heads as if they understand what John is talking about. Little do they know that they are watching and listening at the very onset of a whole new way of life, the breaking through of the kingdom of God. Little do the religious leaders know that everything in their lives is about to become so very difficult, so totally fraught with spiritual complications. And little does the man, standing waist deep in the river, know that the very one he's been talking about is already there, standing hidden in the crowd. Jesus the Holy Spirit Baptist, the Lamb of God, the Son of Man, the Savior of the world, is standing amidst the people, nodding his head along with the others. It delights his heart to listen to the sound of his cousin's voice. He sees the way that the way is being made straight. Friends, this past week, I've been captivated by two thoughts. First, of the moment in far-off Nazareth, on a day perhaps a week or two earlier, when the village carpenter happened to hear the rumors of a wild man teaching and baptizing down near Bethany. The carpenter sets aside his tools, changes into his better cloak and tunic, and, without telling anyone, disappears southward. Secondly, of the idea of Jesus standing there in the midst of John the Baptist's crowds. Just one of the faces, just listening, watching, waiting. He sees the thousands of people rushing into the river, but he waits 
his turn. He waits upon the voice of the Father to go. Both of those, and all of this, made me mindful of some things I love about Jesus and about being one of the people privileged to know him and to follow him. That he knows precisely what he's doing. That he is both humbly hidden and yet also seeking to reveal himself. That he is going to make us holy. That he lifts our lives out of futility. And that like John, he wants to make great use of our little lives. In fact, listen to a section of 1 Peter 1 that I found striking this week. So brace up your minds and, as people who know what they are doing, rest the full weight of your hopes on the grace that will be yours when Jesus Christ reveals himself. Live as obedient children before God. Don't let your character be molded by the desires of your ignorant days, but be holy, i.e. set apart, in every department of your lives. For the one who has called you is himself holy. The scripture says, Be holy, for I am holy. If you pray to a father who judges men by their actions without the slightest favoritism, then you should spend the time of your stay here on earth with reverent fear. For you must realize all the time that you have been ransomed from the futile way of living passed on to you by your father's traditions, not with some money payment of transient value, but by the costly shedding of blood. The price was, in fact, the lifeblood of Christ, the unblemished and unstained lamb of sacrifice. It is true that God chose him to fulfill this part before the world was founded, but it was for your benefit that he was revealed in these last days, for you who found your faith in God through Christ. And God raised him from the dead and gave him unimaginable splendor so that all your faith and hope might be centered in God. That was 1 Peter 1, 13 through 21. My friends, do you see him there at the outset of all of this? Do you see him watching John from the midst of the crowds? I would invite you to stare into those eyes. Consider the thoughts that must have occurred to him prior to the beginning of everything he was about to begin. And then, brace up your minds. We know what we are doing. Jesus is revealed. We have full reason for full hope. So be set apart. Live and act for him. You are ransomed. You don't belong to anyone else. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus already had you in mind to create you, to save you, to call you, to set you apart, and to hand you the keys of the kingdom. My question is, this week, will we take in hand what is ours? 
I just have to say, I hope so. Thanks for listening.